We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, so we had a great Thanksgiving. Okay, a couple people. Cool. <laughs> All right, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Shout it out. Okay, cool. I just took a survey. I will tally up the results later. I heard every single one of you. I got it. I know, I know what you said. I was surprised to actually hear turkey. I wasn't expecting that one. Uh, how many people like turkey? Raise your hand. Really? Am I the odd one? Okay, I'm the odd one. You guys, turkey, it's so dry. Uh, unless you deep fry it, like it's not really worth putting into your body. Or if it's like the thinly sliced deli turkey on a sandwich with some bacon on it, now you're talking, right? Um, I never liked turkey growing up, never at all. And there's some other things I never liked about Thanksgiving. And so about three years ago, our family decided to do things a little differently. And we now just take a trip, just the five of us, and we get away. And so we're up north in Heber Overgaard for this Thanksgiving. And we smoked some tri-tip because for me, I could be a lot more thankful for that when I put it in my mouth than turkey. But if you love turkey, that's great, because you know, here's the thing, like, it doesn't matter if you're eating turkey or tri-tip, it doesn't matter if you have mashed potatoes, you should have mashed potatoes, those are delicious, uh, or something else entirely, cranberry sauce, I don't know, what, whatever it is you do, uh, that's not really the point of Thanksgiving, is it? Now, we have some history teachers here, we can get into, like, where did Thanksgiving come from, but what I'm going to argue right now is the point of Thanksgiving, at least what we strive for it to be now, is to be thankful, right? To recognize this is time to remind us to stop and reflect on what are some things that we have to be thankful for. Uh, and so that's not really what Hebrews 13 is talking about, by the way. But I want us to see, like, you could practice Thanksgiving with your family in a way completely different than the way I practice that that there's no rules on whether you should have turkey or steak, right? There's no rules on that. But the heart of what we're all kind of striving for in that is the same, isn't it? And I think that there's something similar that happens in Hebrews 13. Uh, Hebrews 13 kind of calls us back to something from the Old Testament, just like all of the book of Hebrews has been doing. And even though there's some differences, even though things look maybe slightly different now, the heart of what God's doing is still the same. So we've been going through this book of Hebrews for a while now. We're on chapter 13. So just a kind of a refresh, a reminder of what's been going on so far. The author of Hebrews has been reminding people, hey, I know that life's hard, but listen, Jesus is still good. And he's speaking to a bunch of people who came out of the Jewish faith. And they believe in Yahweh, the God of the Bible, right? The God of Israel. They believe in him and they followed the law or they've tried to. But then they found Jesus. They met Jesus. And Jesus is not this new thing, but he's actually the fulfillment of everything they've believed in and were waiting for and hoping for. And Jesus is the rescuer that all of Israel had been waiting for. And Jesus 
is the person who came to make all things right. And then he died. But they, they have this hope, this faith, that but he rose again. He came back to life. And in the power of God, the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is going to now fill God's people, those who follow after Jesus, those who trust in him, those who believe he is the king over all creation. That same spirit will fill us and we will be able to live the way God intended us to live. And that when we do die in our bodies, just like Jesus, we will rise again to new life. And so these people believed this truth. They believed in this hope. And then things started getting hard again. Life started getting hard again. And people started coming against them because of what they believed in Jesus. And so they had this temptation to go back and say, okay, you know what? We were doing okay when we were just following the law of God. But it's just following this Jesus that's making life really hard on us. Maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe we can just go back to following the laws that have been passed down to us, the traditions. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to remind them, listen, all those things have been good, but they were pointing you to something better. All those things were true and good, but it was getting at the heart of something much deeper and much better. And the much better has come in Jesus. Jesus is better than all these things. So he's been going through all this stuff in their history, right? Whether it was the temple, the tabernacle, sacrifices that they would make, all these things that would happen in the Old Testament that were a way for God's people to follow his ways and draw near to him. And he's saying those were all good. They had a purpose and a point, but they were pointing us to Jesus who is better. Jesus has come to fulfill all of that. Don't give up on Jesus, no matter how hard life gets. And now all of a sudden we get to chapter 13 and what's going to happen is the author of Hebrews starts giving us a list of things to follow and obey. And you're like, wait a second, what's going on? Are we getting back to law again? Are we coming back to rules? Like what? I, I thought Jesus was better than all that and he saved us from our sins and we don't have to worry about that now, right? And that's a lot of times this mentality that can happen even in today's church. It's because Jesus has saved me. Jesus has, has died and rose again. It, whatever I do in life, it doesn't matter now. I said a prayer. I, I raised my hand during a, a service one day at church. I got dunked under some water, so I'm good. I don't have to follow all those rules anymore, right? And we're going to see in Hebrews 13, it's not really the case. But at the same time, what the author of Hebrews is not doing either is taking us back to now in order for you to be saved, in order for you to be right with God, in order for you to draw near to him, you have to obey these rules. That's also not what's going on. And so what is going on? And in order to answer that question, I want to ask the kids a question. Kids, yeah. Yeah. who in here likes rules? Again, more, more people than I expected raise a hand. Depends on the rule, that's fair. I think these are the, you guys, you turkey lovers, rule followers, you are just weird, okay? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, so there's some of you like rules. Awesome. Parents, enjoy that. And then there's the rest of us, right? 
Because guess what? A lot of us adults don't like rules either. And it does depend, like Asa said, it depends on the rule at times, right? But how many of you kids, how many of your parents give you rules? Raise your hand. All right. There's some hands not raised, parents. You got to pay attention to that. Okay, have a talk later. All right? Because they're not hearing it. (laughs) Yeah, we, we all get rules. Why do you think your parents give you rules? Go ahead, Sam. Oh, that's good. I like that. Hey, he was paying attention to a sermon a couple weeks ago. Did you guys catch that? Because <laughs> you have rules. He, he said a couple weeks ago we were talking about discipline, and we were. And he said uh, there's a discipline to help kind of set these expectations. Okay, that's part of rules. Yeah, yeah. Avery, why do your parents give you rules? Good, good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So people don't get hurt. Kinsey said, so people stay safe so that we can create a good environment for our friends, Avery said. When I ask these questions, all the parents are getting really nervous, right? Like, what's my kid going to (laughs) say about why I have rules in my house? Uh, So don't worry. I'll stop there. All right, Eileen, one more. You got your hand up. Keep you safe. Yes, that's a good reason, right? It's a good reason. So helping to discipline you so that you grow up to be a mature person who knows how to live in this world, to keep you safe, right? To help create a healthy environment for all people, like when your friends come over, maybe your siblings, right? It, there's lots of good reasons to have rules. The number one reason I bet your parents do that, hopefully, is because they love you. Right? There's a lot of laughter at that. Okay. (laughs) Your parents love you, and so because of that, they desire for you to live in the best way possible so that you can grow up disciplined and mature, so that you can be healthy and safe, so that you can have good relationships with friends and things like that. Right? That's why your parents give you those types of rules. What I want us to see is it's the same reason why we come to rules in the Bible sometimes. It's not just so that you will look and act a certain way so God looks good, right? It's not just so that you can actually earn something from God because you can't do that. It's actually because God, as a loving father, desires for you to live in the best way possible. So if you were with us last week when we were in Hebrews chapter 12, you saw that we got to this point where the author of Hebrews is talking about two mountains, right? And he reminds them of back in Exodus 19 when God's people, Israel, they were freed from slavery in Egypt and Moses led them out and they come up to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And what happened at Mount Sinai? What did Moses go up and get from God? Yeah. Yeah, the commandments, right? Rules. First thing that happens after being free is here's some rules to follow. And it sounds weird, but if you think about it, 
For 400 years, the people of Israel were slaves to an unjust, selfish king. To, to Pharaoh, who was not looking after their best interest, but his own and his land's own best interest and his people's own best interest. And so they never knew how to live on their own. Their parents didn't know. Their grandparents didn't know. Their great-grandparents, they only knew how to live in Pharaoh's way. And it was not a good way of life. So God rescues them. First, he frees them from slavery. Then he says, now, let me show you the best way to live free. Let me provide you the best blueprint for you to experience a good life, a life of flourishing, a life of enjoyment, a life where you care for one another. And if you think about those 10 commandments that we talk about, right, that Moses came down with, every single one of those was helping to make relationships in life go better, to be more smooth. It's better if we don't lie to each other, right? It's definitely better if we don't kill each other, right? It's better if our relationships stay faithful and committed, right? All those things were saying, this is how you live the best way as free people now. And then in chapter 12, we saw the author of Hebrews said, hey, you haven't come to that same kind of mountain, but you have come to Mount Sion now. And Mount Sinai, only Moses could go up to the mountain. Everyone else stayed down. It was scary. There was fire and lightning and smoke and thunder. And people stayed away. But now, Hebrews 12 said, you've come to a different mountain, Mount Zion, where everyone, because of Jesus, can approach the mountain. This mountaintop where heaven and earth meet where now we could be with God and everybody could come to this mountain and celebrate and rejoice with angels and feasting. And at that mountain, now we get to Hebrews 13 where he says, and listen, there's rules here too. Why? Because God's trying to be a bummer? No. In the same way God has freed you, he has brought you near him, and now he's saying, this is the best way to live. Here's how you enjoy a life of good, healthy, full relationships. Here's how you enjoy a life that is truly free. God saved Israel out of slavery. He brought them near him. And he said, here's the best way to live. And now Jesus has saved us out of sin and death. He has brought us near God. And now we're being told, Here's the best way to live, the Jesus way to live. And guess what? It's not just about making sure you're doing the right things again. Once again, it's about relationships. The very first thing that is said in chapter 13, after saying we've come to this mountaintop, we are now near God, we are with him because Jesus has saved us. It says, let brotherly love continue. See, this is about forming a community of love and joy and freedom. Love one another. Do you remember when Jesus was asked by some religious leaders, hey, what is the most important commandment? Right? He, he remembered Moses got these commandments. This is how Israel is supposed to live. And he goes, Jesus, what's the most important one out of all of them? And Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And there's a second one that goes with it. 
to love your neighbor as yourself. And do you remember what he said right after that? On these two commands rests all of the law. Everything's about this. Love God, love people. Why? Because God first loved you. And so we get to the the climax, the the conclusion of Hebrews, and he says, all these things he's seen that God has done for you in his love, and Jesus has rescued you now. Love one another. The law keeps coming back to this. God has loved you. Love God. If you truly love God, love people. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. Because we have been designed, every single one of us, to be these walking, living, breathing statues of the God who loves us, who created us, and who rescued us. If you don't love someone made in the image of God, do you love God? That's the question. That's a hard question, isn't it? Because immediately I thought of like four or five people in my head I have a hard time loving. Don't worry, none of them are in this room. That's a hard question. And so what do you do with that? We have to remind ourselves of the God who first loved us. 12 chapters of how God has loved and pursued you when you sinned and rebelled against him. 12 chapters of how you have run away from God and he has chased after you and Jesus has brought you near to him. Now, Remember that truth, reflect on that truth, rejoice in that truth, and you will have the ability to love others. Not because you try harder to do it, but because you are near the God who loves you. Just draw near to him. And then you will be able to let brotherly love continue. He says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Right? So it's not now just about loving the people in this room, is it? but we're actually called to go out and love others as well. To make strangers guests. Guests, friends. And friends, family. As we welcome them in and we show them the same love that God has shown us. The same love that we show to one another as a family. The same love gets extended out to others now. And so he continues through this list and he talks about, hey, if you're in a marriage, keep that marriage faithful. Don't, don't try to go find that type of relationship with someone else. You've made a commitment. Like God has made a commitment to you and has been faithful, right? Every single one of these is about how do you keep a community healthy so that people from the outside see that and they go, man, I really want a life like that. That was the whole reason Israel was given that way to live back at Mount Sinai so that the other nations would see and go, I want to be like Israel. And God always made a way for them to come in and be part of that. In the same way, Missio, in the same way, follower of Jesus, we are called to be a community that displays this love in a way that others watch us and they go, I want a community like that. I want a life like that. And we welcome that in. We welcome them in. We don't, we don't get afraid of like, oh, but if we welcome others in, maybe we lose this tight-knit community we have here. No, no, no. It's always been the point is to welcome more in, 
It's always been what Jesus has done is welcome more in. And it does get uncomfortable at times, doesn't it? When you sit around your Thanksgiving table and there's people there you're, you're not used to having those conversations with, it gets uncomfortable, right? And yet, what are we told that happens on this Mount Zion? At the end of the story, when Jesus returns and he makes all things fully right, that we will dwell with God eternally, sitting at a big banquet table, feasting with him. But not just with him, with countless brothers and sisters who are so different from us and yet made in the image of the same God who created us. United around one thing, that Jesus has brought us near. And so because Jesus has loved you, continue in love to one another and to others outside of that. And then it says this in verse six, we can boldly say, sorry, let me back up, actually the end of verse five, that God himself has says, I will never leave you or abandon you. Okay, so hear those words. God says, I've rescued you out of slavery. I've brought you near to me and I'm never gonna leave or abandon you. So then we can boldly say, verse six, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I know it's fearful sometimes to invite others in because we think like, I don't, I don't know them. I can't trust them. What's gonna change in this dynamic? Is this even safe? We have this promise, God is with you. He's not leaving you. And if he stays with you, what can man do to you? You can freely continue in love and invite others in, trusting that God will be in your presence through it all and that he will hold you and keep you close and keep you safe. And yes, there will be times where other humans hurt us, just like Jesus was hurt by the humans he came to rescue. But in the same way Jesus conquered that, in the same way Jesus prayed for those while they were persecuting and killing him, in the same way he then rose out of that tomb and then offered life to those very same people, the same spirit of God allows us now, even when people hurt us, to continue to offer the love and grace of God to them so that strangers could become friends who turn into family. That's what we're called to. And I think as we reflect on like maybe this meal some of us had this last week, not me because we got away from it all, but some of you sat around a table with people maybe it's hard to love. All of this feels very real, doesn't it? And it's not just Thanksgiving. It's when you open your home to a neighbor. It's when you as a missio community invite friends over for a barbecue. It's when you go to a neighbor's house and you sit on their couch and you get to know some of their story. It's when you sit next to a coworker or a classmate or maybe a sibling in your own home. We have to remember the love God first showed us so that we can love one another. These rules aren't about you checking things off a list so that you could earn your way to God. God has already brought you near him. 
What these are, are the best way possible to live a life of freedom and love and joy as we experience the love of God and we display it to others. That's what this is about. That's what the picture is. At the end of Hebrews, at the end of the story of all of scripture, and it's the picture Jesus gives us in every moment of his life that we have recorded in this book. And it's what the spirit of God is trying to do in each and every single one of us now today. Amen? And the best way for us to remember the love of God given to us so that we can extend it to other people is remembering the sacrifice Jesus made in order to love us and draw us near. And so usually what we do is we go to these tables right here at the end of this and we take the bread that's been broken for us like Jesus' body was broken for us. And we dip it in the cup, we remember his blood spilled for us. But today, instead we're going to go out on the lawn and we're going to have a real feast. And instead of just remembering the death of Jesus and the cost, we also remember the rejoicing and the celebration and the feast that will happen one day when he fully returns and make things right. And that we will sit at that table with strangers who have become brothers and sisters. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to practice that in a sense out on this lawn and we're going to feast together. And as we do that, I want us to remember the cost of Jesus's death, but the victory and the power of the spirit of his resurrection. We're going to do that in a moment, but first I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to sing a couple more songs together. Would you pray with me as I come up here?